Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome, everybody. This is the Orange is the New Black podcast. I'm doing a special episode in our PFF series. Um, this week, we've got none other than Sam Monson. Um, Sam, please talk to the people. Tell them how you're doing tonight. Uh, it's Orange is the New Black podcast. Normally, I'm um, joined with my buddy, Ace Boogie. He had to do some stuff, and so they're probably used to seeing that, but we are really, really glad to have you here tonight. Thanks for having me. I'm doing good. Uh, yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's talk some football. All right. So how are you um, feeling about the upcoming season as far as the Bengals go in general? Like, do you have any general thoughts or any hot takes that you just want to lead off and just throw in people's face that you hate somebody or you think is really, really cool for the Bengals? No, nothing crazy. I just think that, you know, it's an exciting time for the Bengals because because of Joe Burrow and now Jamar Chase and what those guys can do. And obviously the big thing we all want to see is is that Joe Burrow comes back 100 percent, you know, and he looks like the guy that he was before that knee injury took him out. Um, I think obviously the last thing any of us want to see is Burrow comes back and he's, he's not quite the same guy or you see any kind of lingering holdover effect from that knee injury because, you know, it wasn't just like a routine knee injury, you know, like Tom Brady apparently now played the Super Bowl with a torn MCL and, you know, nobody expects Tom Brady to be any different now. I mean, he was good in the Super Bowl, right, with playing on the injury. But Joe Burrow's injury, like that was severe. You know, it was multiple things. It was a major knee injury of the kind that can, you know, cause lingering problems. But let's hope they don't because Burrow, I thought, was really encouraging year one. Um, And now – you pair him up with a guy who he had this incredible connection with in college. And, you know, just on paper, that could be a phenomenal, uh, just a, a phenomenal hookup with those two guys. Just these deep passes from Burrow to Jamar Chase again. Those are so good at LSU. I'm excited to see that again. Right. And and the same thing for us. Uh, and I say us, I'm talking Hootie Nation. For the most part, we we developed a series on this channel here. It got really, really popular, picked up a lot of traction. It was called the Civil War, where we picked uh, Panay versus uh, Jamar Chase. I was on Team Chase. My partner was uh, Panay. If you were in the Bengals draft room and you were sitting there at the time, based off of what you just said, Burroughs injury, different things of that magnitude, what's the direction that you would go? And does that have anything to do with the impact of the position? It's funny because everybody was like staunchly on one side or the other, right? There were like battle lines drawn and you were either Chase or you were Sewell. And, you know, there was no uh, like detente between them. It was one or the other. And I, I could see the argument either way. And honestly, I think that none of us are smart enough to be able to weigh all of the various elements involved in that decision accurately, right? Because it isn't just you know, do you fix the offensive line or do you fix the receiver group? Because you're going to get a chance to come back in the second, third round and address the other position for the offensive line. It isn't just one, you know, guy fixing the whole unit. You you need to fix most of the offensive line, right? So it's not just um, does Sewell fix it. It's how much does just gra- grabbing one guy, you know, address the offensive line or how much does 
um, adding the fact that Joe Burrow now has a receiver that he has confidence in, that he can put the ball in the air sooner. And Burrow, year one, held onto the ball a little bit longer than he should. And that's the thing that all young quarterbacks tend to struggle with. So how much is he going to improve that, right? How much is that part going to improve? So there's just all these different facets. And anybody like, you know, coming down and saying it's definitely this, there's no argument for the other side, I think it's crazy. And I think that's both sides, right? Right. So I like if I was the guy making the decision in the Bengals war room, I probably would have lent Jamar Chase, but I would have been on the fence. It would have been a 50-50 to me. And I would have said, you know, let's let's almost vote. Let's get a consensus in the room. And if we come down 60-40 the other way, Panay Sewell versus versus Chase, I'm okay moving in that direction. I, I think it's a toss-up. I, I I tweeted at the time that, you know, the Bengals made the right choice going with Jamar Chase over Panay Sewell, but they would have made the right choice if they'd gone with Panay Sewell over Jamar Chase. I just don't think you can't I, I don't think there was a wrong call. I think either one addresses an area of need. And, you know, you were well in position to come back in the second and third round and address the other spot. So, you know, either way works. I, I guess the 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 argument would be is, OK, you could have something wrong if the impact player in the second round or it because they wouldn't have Bengals, you know, I guess in our history, they, they don't have a history of trading up. Right. So sure. whatever will fall to them in the second round, the argument would be like you're looking at a Rashard Bateman or you're looking at. Uh, and on the other side of the fence, you're looking at a Wyatt Davis or you're looking at these guys like that. The biggest uh, argument that I would have is that Jamar Chase is marginally better than the wide receivers that were coming there in the second round. Do you think it was that big of a gap or do you feel like it was just like he was better, but, you know, he's tier A, but there's a tier B with Rashad Bateman. Uh, uh, what's the kid that went to the uh, Elijah Moore, like guys mm -hmm. like that? I think there was a big gap between Jamar Chase and certainly the guys that were likely to be available in the second round. Um, I, I think he is like a genuinely incredibly talented receiver. I, I think Devontae Smith is right up there with him. But to me, those two guys were head and shoulders uh, above anybody else in this class. I really like Bateman as well. I think if you were you know, looking for a, a tier two guy, if you like, um, he would be like the next one that I would take in terms of a, a well-rounded, complete skill set. But obviously, he, he didn't make it that far, right? You know, other teams thought the same thing. Um, so, yeah, it, it was always going to be a risk in terms of what you're left with at the other position that you don't address. But the thing about receiver, I think, is that, you know, we've seen the last couple of years, it's getting easier and easier to find receivers that are really good. And even guys that, you know, we might not think are up there with a Jamar Chase or last year with a CD Lamb or, or whoever it is going at the top. You know, guys like Chase Claypool come in the middle rounds and suddenly look like one of the best receivers out there. Justin Jefferson was, I think, what, the fifth wide receiver off the board, set rookie records that, you know, broke Randy Moss's rookie records. Like, those are the kind of things that, were, that are happening to these guys that don't look like the superstar prospects that are going at the top of the draft. Whereas, you know, I don't want to say that offensive tackle is a safe pick, but I think teams probably are a little bit better at kind of identifying the difference between, you know, a surefire first round guy and somebody who's going in the mid rounds who, you know, maybe has the physical tools to do some of this stuff, but is not anywhere near the, the, the polished prospect those guys are. So I think if, if the argument is, you know, what's the drop off like at this position when you get into the mid rounds, I think you would lean tackle.
Uh-oh. Froze up. We back? Okay, now I can't hear you. Are you muted? <laughs> there we yeah, go. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, but I'm saying I, I feel like we're back. I'm sorry yeah, about it. I don't, I don't know what happened. But this happens. We're live. I thought this I was happens. gonna have to host the show for a minute. You can host it. I mean, I'm, I'm not <laughs> mad at that at all. Like, I, I do, you do a really good job. I actually listen to you guys, uh, you and Steve, a lot. It's one of my favorite podcasts. So if you guys don't have, if you haven't heard it or you haven't been listening to it, please make sure you check out the PFF. Um, podcast because it's one of the best ones up there. But a lot of the different things that you were saying, I, I really agree with. Um, I think for me moving forward, I just didn't see. And I think this is one of the things that we asked PFF eager, um, Eric. <laughs> I just, I don't know why I just, uh, but we asked them that last week. And, you know, I was really talking about positional value and just in my philosophy is that a lot of teams just aren't doing or no teams at all are doing seven step drops. So what you're getting from an elite tackle or elite guard or whatever whatever offensive line play that you're looking for, I just didn't feel like it warranted the pick. And it would have been like a safe pick in my mind. But for most fans, they're looking at, like you said, you let off in the show, Burroughs had a major injury. They're like, hey, how can we keep him uninjured? You know, and, yeah. and that's a big concern for me, too. So there's an argument, I guess, for all of that. Yeah, but I think you know the thing about that is that one guy isn't fixing that, right? Like to, to exactly. keep upright, you need five guys that aren't a problem. And Sewell's going to make a big difference; like he's going to affect that, but he isn't going to he isn't going to fix it. So right. the issue with that is that you know Cincinnati's offensive line last year was one of the worst in the NFL. They need to take big steps across the board, and I, you know you can make an argument that hey, you get Sewell in, Jonah Williams, you know, takes a step forward next year, and you know, all of a sudden you're you're getting sort of two, three players in an offensive line. Then it's easier to patch up two problem spots rather than five. But yeah, like I, I think that's the strongest argument against Panay Sewell is that, you know, there was this graphic that went around like a meme that was, you know, what happens if you if you have a wider, yeah, if you get changed yeah, yeah, and not, yeah. not Sewell, then Joe Burrow is getting killed. Or I hated that graphic. Right. I hated that graphic. And it's like, yeah, that's that's only if if it's a one-on-one -on -one pass rush versus right. like offensive lineman thing. The problem is like you can have Sewell, and then the other four guys are the other reason he's getting killed, and exactly the same thing is happening. So it was never quite that simple. That was always my problem with the whole argument. Right. I think. I guess if I'm in the war room. In the offseason, I think a lot of Bengals fans feel this way, too, is that they didn't do enough. So one of sure. my theories is that they put a lot of pressure on Jackson Carmen like day one to play out of position and go play the, at, at the right guard spot is where they're, they're slating him already before the season has even started. So for me, I would have liked to see him do a lot more. And then that graphic really looks silly because now we're looking at depth and you're actually looking at a guy that's actually played the position. And then you got all these guys that can kind of form a unit and then it warrants the, it puts more merit to the Jamar Chase pick to me. Um, I guess moving along with that or whatever for, for a team, like um, we we're talking about the Steelers earlier or me and my partner were talking about the Steelers earlier for them to come into this season. And now they're looking at a situation that we just came from where you're now looking at all these moving pieces and potentially one of the worst lines in the offensive line. I mean, in the NFL, do you feel as though that the drop off or their line on paper is really that bad? Or is it people kind of overselling that right now? I mean, I think it's pretty bad um, on paper. They've got like one, you know, one player that's played any kind of 
extensive time. One more player who's played a little bit and looked kind of good doing it. And then a bunch of question marks. Um, and, you know, anytime, anytime you're changing that many guys on the offensive line, you're just almost certainly going to struggle next year because it's really hard. There's an offensive line, you know, shortage in the NFL. And most teams don't have good offensive lines. When you all of a sudden have to find four or five guys to plug in, the chances of you hitting on all five of them, all four of them, it, it's just so small. Like we saw this with the Jets, you know, last year. They threw a ton of bodies at that offensive line. And we were making the point all offseason, you know, Jets fans were like, sweet, our offensive line's fixed. We've done it. We added all these guys. We added, you know, Mackay Becht in the draft. We added these free agents. It's done. Like we're 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 it's better. They're like, yeah, but the chance of all those guys being above average year one is really small. And you know, maybe one or two of the guys will work out, but two or, you know, the other two won't. And then you've got half a good offensive line. And that's what happened, right? Mackay Becton, I think, was better than we thought he would be, but the other guys weren't. Connor McGovern didn't play well. Like, you're still, you still didn't fix the offensive line. Right. Um, so I think that's part of the problem with Pittsburgh is there's just too many guys they need to replace. And not all of it was their fault. You know, Marquise Pouncey retires. David DeCastro was going to be injured anyway and wasn't going to be able to play. So, they didn't really have a choice there, but I right. think just by default, it there's there's a really small chance of that offensive line being anything other than a problem. And you know, Ben Roethlisberger has probably never needed the line more than he does right now because of his you know the, how old he is and the fact that he isn't pushing right. the ball down the field as much as he used to anymore. So yeah, on paper, that offensive line looks like a like a major problem for the entire offense as a, a whole. And the thing that's going to prevent them, you know, taking a step forward from last year. And, and, and it's crazy the way you set that up, too, is like I feel like the strategy that they went with is kind of similar to what the Buffalo Bills did the, the year prior. It's like go get like eight guys, like mid, mid-tier mid guys, Ty Naseki, all these guys like that, put them all together and then just have a battle royale. And yeah. for me, that was one of the things that I was pushing a lot for this offseason. So for them not to do it, I feel like they're putting themselves as a Bengal fan, like against another kind of crazy hole where everything really has to work and if they don't they don't really have like the depth pieces that i would like to see i guess to fill that in is that like a common thing that you see around the league like how many teams i posed it i put this on twitter one day i said that i think the Bengals on you know, on paper or just going off of pff i talked to evan a lot too that's my guy um probably tackle wise probably the 14th ranked tackle tandem in the nfl uh, offensive line, I probably said, probably we looked at every single offensive line. I said they're probably about the 22nd, maybe 18th ranked offensive line in the National Football League. Then a lot of people say, well, you're being a homer and stuff like that. I just wanted to give you a, or you were talking about like how offensive line play is looking around the NFL currently right now. How many teams on paper do you feel super confident coming with a starting five right now offensive line play that you feel really good about? That's the thing. There just aren't many of them. Um, and like, you know, everybody thinks that their offensive line is either way better or way worse than it actually is. But when you look, and this is why, you know, when you get the AAF or the XFL, you get one of these other leagues spool up. Um, and a lot of the reason that the play just isn't good enough is because the offensive lines are terrible, right? Like there's not enough good offensive linemen for the NFL let alone for a second league that's that's trying to develop and just get viable play. And ultimately, like the offensive line is the thing that lets everybody else look good. So you might have a ton of receiver talent in one of these developmental leagues, but you're never going to see much of it because 
the quarterback is running for his life the entire time and they just don't have a shot to like to thrive. So yeah, I, look, I think, you know, Cincinnati are never going to, they're not going to take a step from where they were last year to being like a top offensive line. They don't have to like their, their job is not to get great on the offensive line. It's just to get viable and to be like, to have the line not be a problem and not be the reason that Joe Burrow goes down and we, you know, in week 12 next year. Um, and I think, you know, they've taken some steps there. I'm, I'm with you. I think they could have done some more and they could have thrown some more bodies at it. And like the reason that is smart is, look, it's probably going to work out like it, it went with the Jets, right? You're going to throw five, six guys at it and three of them will, will work out. But if you only throw one or two guys at it and it doesn't work out, now you've done nothing. Like now you didn't even get better. So you have to throw resources at it and, you know, play the odds, play the fact that a lot of these guys are not going to work out. And you know, it's better to kind of overcommit and, you know, worst case scenario, you throw all these resources at it, you bring in six guys and all of them work out. And now you have the better offensive line depth than anybody else in the NFL. And if somebody goes down, it's not a problem because you suddenly have guys that can come off the bench. Like that's the worst thing that could happen if you do like throw all these resources at it. If you don't do that and you don't, and you, you miss on the guys that you're bringing in, um, you know, now you've not only did you kind of waste the resources, but you haven't actually fixed the problem you set out to fix. I agree a hundred percent. And um, I guess like let's let's move along because I, I know I spent a lot of time off the line, but it was a lot of people early in the day was like, man, talk to them about offensive line. So because I told a couple people, hey, I'm gonna be talking to Sam. You guys got any questions? So a lot of people actually had some really good questions about offensive line. So I'm glad you touched on that. I got to ask you the same thing. I put this out last week on Twitter, too. And this is a common thing that we talk about, too, as Bengals fans, because for me, I'm a fan. So I like to champion the things that I think we do best. To me, I feel as though at the very least, we are a top five wide receiver trio or wide receiver court. When I came out with a ranking system, I had us listed at second. And most of it is only because of the players that we have in the prime of their career at the age they're at and a lot of Jamar Chase ascending. And then also factoring in what Auden Tate can do if he were thrust into play. And we've seen that with him having Ryan Finley play and he still has 600 yards as a, as a fourth option. Most teams, and this is what I uh, bring to anybody that will listen to my argument, is that anybody that you could say that probably would be better than that with the exception of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right? Cause they're the one that just have like this extreme package to me of just all types of wide receivers, right? Any other uh, tandem that you could bring to my attention that you feel as though is better. They're either going to have an outdate, like an older superstar, or they're going to have a goddess battle injury or coming off a PED or something like that. So with that being said, give me your top five wide receiver court. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously Tampa Bay would be one of them. I think Dallas would be another one that's right there. The trio they put out with Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, um, CeeDee Lamb now. I think that's as good as anybody in the NFL, one to three. I think Buffalo is still right out there, even though they lost John Brown. Um, bringing in Emmanuel Sanders, I think, is a smart move for them. I, I like what they have. I think Denver could be a sneaky one as well, even though like they don't have the quarterback to take advantage of it yet. But on paper... Like Jerry Judy's route running translated. You know, we right. saw that year one. He's still an absolute phenom when it comes to running routes. Okay, dropped a lot of passes year one, but that happens sometimes, right? Amari Cooper, right. I think, dropped 18 passes as a rookie as well. And then right. he's dropped 18 the last three years total. So sometimes 
that fluctuates, but they're now getting Cortland Sutton back. Tim Patrick was really good last year in his place. KJ Hamler, I still think, has a lot to offer, and we didn't see that year one. So right. Denver, I think, is a group that's really good. And yeah, Cincinnati's right up there. I, I think it's funny how much one guy can make a difference, right? Because before the draft, you're kind of looking at that group and you're saying, you know, this this group isn't really helping out Joe Burrow that much, right? They've got, um, you know, T. Higgins, who played really well as a rookie, but you're kind of focusing on the things that he doesn't really do well. And then Tyler Boyd is is just a slot receiver. And, yeah. you know, they, they need this number one. But then when you right. get the number one, now you're saying, well, now you got T. Higgins is this really great, like number two that can win contested catches and is a possession guy. And Tyler Boyd is this great slot guy. And as you said, Auden Tate is this like great big bodied number four. Like suddenly the picture completely changes when you bring in this one guy that you think can be that, you know, number one superstar. And you know, I love Jamar Chase. I think his game was fantastic. So if he does hit the NFL the way that we expect him to, or the way that we, you know, saw from him in college, then yeah, Cincinnati's receiving group is is a great one. Right. And for me, it, this is another thing I just want you to think about, too. In, in the history of the NFL, we've gone back and looked. There's only about six different instances of three receivers getting a thousand yards. Right. Um, and two of those instances involve tight ends. So a lot of Bengals fans are feeling like myself, feel like there's a real good chance, especially with 17 games, that they can get a thousand yards. The one thing that I think that a lot of people probably aren't factoring is, like I said earlier, like all those all those teams and stuff that you can name, like Denver is lacking the quarterback, uh, Dallas, you know, like I believe in those guys. Amari Cooper to me, though, at one point was considered to be a bust and he's resurrected his career and he's still and he's really good. He always had the talent, but there's always like these holes and flaws in it. I feel like even when I look at the metrics from PFF. And different things that I look at, you know, like just looking at slot yards and, you know, for Tyler Boyd or different things like that. He's always at he's always at the top. So then we look at T. Higgins. Uh, he was hampered by an injury at the end, soft tissue injury, nothing to play for. They, he would have easily had a thousand yards. So, like, I feel like all the pieces are there to be great. But like you said, the number one is the main important part. But this is the unicorn situation. There's very rarely in time, only time I could think about it is like when Cam Newton came into the league where you have this quarterback that is on this contract and these guys that are ready to go like at an elite level. Like usually a quarterback comes into a bad situation. And I feel like this is one of the rare times in history. And you're going to remember this conversation that this guy is here and he's ready with guys that are ready in the prime of their career, ready to go. No, no major injuries or anything like that. Um, in in within sight or whatever god willing let's move to defense uh looking at the defense um on paper do you have any thoughts uh you know like they they lose william jackson they lose Lawson, they bring in hendrickson they bring in uh we're, we're thinking that they're going to extend jesse base and hubbard pretty soon um there's a couple of different things that Wuzier comes in. I think Darius Phillips always is graded really, really well by PFF. There are a lot of different pieces there. How do you feel about the Bengals defense like coming into the season? And you, yeah, how do you feel about that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the defense is still a work in progress. Um, you know, they've made a couple of moves that I think are maybe lateral moves, maybe even slight steps in the wrong direction. You know, William Jackson leaving and replacing him with a guy who's probably not going to be as good as William Jackson, um, Carl Lawson, I think Trey Hendrickson is probably a slight downgrade over Carl Lawson, even though he had better sack totals a year ago, like the pressures, 
pressure rate, those kinds of things weren't quite as good. So, you know, it's not like Trey Henderson's a bad player, but it's probably a slight step in the wrong direction compared with Lawson. Um, you know, the good Mike, news Mike is, Hilton. Yeah, Mike Hilton, I think, is a really good move. I think he's been one of the better uh, slot corners of the last few years. So, there, you know, there's talent there. There are pieces on that defense that are, are, are very good and um, that they have been kind of, for a while, I think they've had a, lot, a decent amount of talent on this unit. They just haven't kind of put it all together yet. So, you know, I think ultimately defense in today's NFL, like it's nice to have, but it's not going to be the thing that propels you you know, leaps and bounds in the right direction. The, the Bengals season is going to be all about what happens with Joe Burrow and Jamar and Jamar Chase and the defense, you know, just needs to kind of take steps in the right direction and hold up its end of the bargain. I think it's capable of doing that. We just have to see if all those pieces can come together. For me, I always have this mantra. I always say your offense is your defense. When I look at some of the early uh, stuff from Patrick Hol Patrick Mahomes, there there were some things where I would look at the defense and I say this defense isn't good at all. But if I'm on the field and I'm putting points on the board, I really don't have to do much. Do you have a philosophy or you have like a team that you feel like right now kind of just gets it? Like on paper, like they have everything that if you were constructing a team like yeah, I mean, I think what we're seeing now is that there's a bunch of different ways to win, but you're you're not going to get very far if you don't have the quarterback, or at least it's really, really hard to do it, right? So everybody is in this mode of let's find a guy that we believe is the future a quarterback, and then now we rush to like build everything around him. So the Browns kind of did that with Baker Mayfield. The Bills did a really good job of it with Josh Allen. The Bengals are definitely taking steps with Joe Burrow. You know, you've given him the receiving core now. Now you need to make sure that offensive line is going to be good enough. Um, the Chiefs with Mahomes have done it in a, an interesting way. And because Mahomes and the offense is so good there, like they didn't need a good defense. They just needed the defense to stop being like the worst in the NFL, which it was like right at the start of his career. You know, they and they they brought in, um, you know, Steve Spagnolo and they've sort of changed things schematically as much as they have with personnel. And now the Chiefs defense is just it's OK. Right. It's it's average and average when you've got Mahomes as your quarterback is more than good enough to get you to the Super Bowl every year. So, yeah, I think there's a bunch of different ways. And then you've got, you know, a team like Pittsburgh or the Rams who have like the best defense in the NFL um, and they're trying, you know, trying to make the offense just good enough to get there. And the Rams will be interesting this year with Matthew Stafford, you know, potentially bringing this big upgrade to that offense because that they're, you know, the defense might take a step back from last year with Brandon Saley leaving town, but it should still be really good. Now the question is, can Stafford, you know, propel the offense to where it needs to go? You're a pro because before <laughs> this, what I say, hey, I got to tie in that. I got to tie that in. So. We just had a show. We were just talking fantasy football on our last show. One of my secret tips that I was telling everybody is like, you know, like I kind of gave people a lot of steps. But one guy that I said is always there that you can probably get in the nine, ninth, tenth round of a PPR 12 man league is uh, Matthew Stafford. You tweeted the other day that you felt as though Stafford was getting like over. I, I don't want to misquote you. What was the quote that you wrote on Twitter where you were talking about Matthew Stafford? Yeah, it was something like that. The high, you know, the Matthew Stafford He's hype is just getting out of control, right? Because you know, ESPN put out their quarterback rankings that are from, um, you know, executives, coaches, players, and some guy had Matthew Stafford as number four, like the fourth best quarterback in the NFL. And look, you know, there are people out there that think Stafford is a better quarterback than I am, but or than I do. But ranking him four is just ridiculous. Like it's just silly by 
the the mental gymnastics you need to do to get into four is crazy. Now, like, you know, he he was sixth, I think, in the rankings overall, and it was up from eighth or something the year before. That's closer. Like, you but can at least Sam, make an argument. But Sam, but they got McVay. Right. And look, I think that my, I think that Stafford might have a really good year this year. And certainly statistically, which is, you know, where your fantasy stuff comes in. I think that might still be a really smart play because that offense should elevate quarterbacks and it should make them better from a statistical point of view. The question is, like, will it stop Stafford being inconsistent and will it stop him, you know, making a decent number of mistakes compared with what he's capable of doing? And, you know, on our podcast, we had um, Seth Galina on this week and we were talking a lot about Stafford and it's like, you know, Stafford's highlight reel is as good as Mahomes, as good as Aaron Rodgers, as good as any quarterback in the NFL. Like if all you're interested in is the good stuff, is what he does really well, he's, you can make the argument that he's the best quarterback in the NFL. He's right up there with that. And that's why, right. you know, everyone always talks about his talent and his talent is as high as anybody else. But every time you're watching him, you're like, but why isn't this better? Like why, why isn't he Mahomes? Why isn't he Aaron Rodgers? And there's always been a group of people that just like dismiss that as, well, it's the Lions, right? It's Detroit's fault. Matthew Stafford is great. The reason he isn't Aaron Rodgers or Mahomes is because he's been playing in Detroit. Right. I just don't think that that holds up. Like he's always had pretty good pass protection. He had Megatron for half his career. Like he hasn't been let down by the group around him. And they've, you know, they've chopped and changed coaches a lot. And we've heard three or four times that the next one has been the guy that's fixed Matthew Stafford, right? You know, six games of Jim Bob Cooter, an offensive coordinator. And it's like Stafford's he's the lights gone on. And then it stops happening again because Stafford is just always inconsistent and he never, you know, maintains that level for any extended period of time. Um, So I think he might have like a career year with the Rams, but I don't know if he will get significantly better even within this offense. But don't you think when people talk about Stafford, or at least for me, I guess my point of view is like, I'm always, you, you said a keyword, they're talking about the talent level, right? But I'm talking about arm talent. If you're talking about the highlight reel, or I guess from Matthew Stafford, it would be based on arm talent. And I guess my perspective of Matthew Stafford is a lot like what I feel like Herbert or um, uh, I, I guess Josh Allen had a really, really good year last year, but Prior to last year, I, I would have right. probably pr- grouped him in that same category, right? I think the main thing that I think makes a quarterback or makes us a lot more hopeful for Joe Burrow is the processing. So the different things that I've seen from Matthew Stafford is the lack of processing in very key moments or the clutch gene or the different thing that you need, I guess, at the end of the game. I don't think McVay or whatever solves that, I guess, right. is what, what I would tell the, to the guy that had him ranked number four. But it is interesting because, like, Stafford, you know, the all the things that you want in a quarterback, Stafford does have. It just – you don't always see it, right? It's like – he does have the kind of clutch thing, right? Whereas he's got a ton of fourth quarter comebacks. He does bring them back a lot. He's got the toughness. You know, there are those videos where he just takes this shot, jumps up and kind of struggles his way to the line and makes the next play. You know, he's got all those things. Plus, you know, his arm, his arm talent is genuinely up there with the best in the NFL. Like his, he can do things that only that group of Mahomes, Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers can do. So he's right up there with those guys. But, you know, when you talk about talent overall, you have to fold in like the mental side of things as right. well. Yeah. And he isn't on the level of guys like Tom Brady when it comes to the mental processing stuff. It's not that he's, you know, not intelligent. 
he just isn't as consistent as those guys. And that is a thing that is part of talent. That is a, like a mental trait of playing this game. And I don't think that that is explained by the Detroit Lions. I, I think that's just something that is in Matthew Stafford. And again, I, I just don't think that, you know, suddenly pairing him with Sean McVay, like, dis, like it removes that from his game. I think that's part of who he is. What the heck are the Lions doing? Like, when you look at, like, I look at that roster and I, I just say, what are they doing? I, I mean, I think <laughs> they're obviously rebuilding, but I think the thing with them is they have job security, right? So everyone that came in, um, Dan Campbell, their, their new GM, they've got, they've got the time. They've got six-year contracts. They know right. it's not going to get fixed in one offseason. So they right. can go, all right, let's, let's concentrate on one area this year. And the next, right. next season, we'll, we'll concentrate on the next area. So this year, they've gone heavily with the offense and defensive line. They've gone to yeah. fix it in the trenches, right? right. Um, and look, there are, there are data points to say that's not the way to do it. You should get the more valuable positions first. You should find receivers and cornerbacks. Um, but I think there's also a point of, look, offensive line and defensive line tend to take longer to develop. So right. maybe you do want to get a jump on those guys and get them year one. And then year two, you can come back with the receivers because you know there's a ton of these guys that hit the ground running and you don't necessarily need to give them like the lead up time or the, the red shirt freshman rookie year before they're up to speed. Um, and then presumably somewhere along the line, they're going to find the quarterback because I think Jared Goff was taken essentially as a salary dump for the Rams. Right. You know, it's part of that deal to get the two first round picks. Um, and if that wasn't true, I think they'd have done more to give Goff some receiver help this year. Right. right. And, and I, I guess I think that's, that's how that, you need to know. That's what I was saying. It's like, yeah, I could I could get with you talking about like, yeah, like let's fix the trenches and stuff. But to totally ignore the position to me, like, is a big red flag that, you know, like, that something is not going on. It, it bodes well for my fantasy because now TJ Hawkinson is definitely <laughs> is definitely a target of mine. Like, that's a, another one of my big sleepers. Like, you can get him in the sixth, seventh round in most 12-man leagues, and he's absolutely going to see over 100 targets. He saw 97 last year, right? Yeah. And and then, you know, now you, you put together wide receivers I've never even heard of on, like, the back of the room. I've never even seen those guys. But I think it just tells you that like that they know this year is a write-off, right? They're not trying to be as good as they can be this year. You know, they're not giving Jared Goff the weapons he needs to show anything other than like he's just Jared Goff is, is a sacrificial lamb for them this season, right? They're Jared Goff's out there. He's a quarterback people have heard of, so it won't be like a total mutiny that it might have been if they'd been, you know, hey, David Blau is the starting quarterback this year. That'd have been a riot. Jared Goff's at least a big enough name that, you know, you're not gonna have a complete uh, disaster on your hands, but like he doesn't have a chance to win because he's got nobody to throw to. You're right. Hawkinson's the only guy that he's going to have any degree of like comfort level with. Right. So, you know, they're going to try and blood the offense and the defensive line. And then next off season, they're probably going to be in a good position to grab, you know, a Spencer Rattler or whoever it is at the top of the draft and get the quarterback and the receivers. Right. I got you. Um, I guess uh, as, before I let you head out of here, you've been very, very generous with your time. Um, if you guys are late to the pod, just make sure you follow uh, Sam at under uh, PFF underscore Sam. Is that correct? That's great. Yep, right. Got it. OK. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you, though, from a fantasy perspective, because um, we, we got into that a little bit with Stafford. Are there some guys that you feel as though are super underrated and some guys that are super overrated? Um, um, approaching fantasy football this year for somebody watching for their team. 
Yeah, it's tough. I, I think that, you know, Emmanuel Sanders going to Buffalo is a really interesting one. I think I you're just an Emmanuel Sanders fan. I, I am. I like my, I like <laughs> Emmanuel Sanders. But I also think, look, somebody has got to pick up the role that John Brown left in that offense, right, which is like the deep threat. And I think people are pegging it to be Gabriel Davis, um, who, who looked good last year. But when they swapped out John Brown and Gabriel Davis, it wasn't quite the same. Like Gabriel Davis doesn't have exactly the same skill set as John Brown, but Emmanuel Sanders can win like at all levels of the defense. And he might not be great at any of them, but I think he's going to work his way into that system and be like an important part of that offense. And that offense is going to air the ball out. Like they pass more than anybody else in, you know, neutral situations, first and 10, that kind of thing. So yeah, like he is going to be, I think an interesting sleeper, particularly, you know, certain weeks, I think you're going to find Emmanuel Sanders going off and, and, you know, it'll, it'll catch people by surprise. Emmanuel Sanders, I, I guess for me, <laughs> he burnt me so many times in fantasy football. Like I, I have like, Oh Lord. Okay. Uh, other than that, I just want to say thank you very much for um, coming on the pod today. Like again, I said my my partner Ace he couldn't be with us today, but he's definitely watching him. I saw him in the comments a couple of times. Please tell everybody where they can check your stuff out at right now if they didn't hear it throughout the show. Yeah, pff.com obviously is where all my written stuff is. We got a sale going right now, forty percent off. Save yeah. forty, I think, is the the sale, the promo code. So get yourself a pff pff subscription now or the PFF NFL podcast with myself and Steve. Yes, if you want to argue with people like I do online all day, <laughs> you're going to need PFF subscription. Trust me, you're going to need to pull up some numbers because there's going to be somebody that's going to be saying, I don't believe you, and that's where you're going to pull it up. I want to make sure you know, whenever you come to Cincy, we are one of our sponsors of the show, Midwest Barbecue. If you ever come to Cincy, you're going to have to come to the office. You're going to have to do something there. Come to Midwest Barbecue, best barbecue in town, best chicken. Also check out me at zimhude.com. This is Burrow Babies. I want you to tell anybody that you know that's a Bengals fan, because I know that you probably don't believe in us all the way yet, but this is the start of a new day for you, Sam. I want you to know that this is a, this is a day you'll never forget. You came on this guy's podcast. He was kind of crazy, and he told me Burrow's about to light the league up. This is a whole lot of orange coming your way. Thank you very much. You have a great day. Love you guys at PFF and continue to do great work. This is it. I'm going to leave you guys with a yes, sir, ski.